0: Welcome to Force Points to the Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week join Eric Trexler and Erica Pierce to explore the latest in government cybersecurity news and trending topics. Always covered in 15 minutes or less. Now, let's get to the point.
1: And welcome back to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. I'm Eric Trexler, your host. And Erica is unavailable this week, but we have a stand-in. With Carolyn Ford is joining us today. She is a senior marketing product mm-hmm. manager from Forcepoint, and uh, this is her first podcast. So go easy on her in the comments, but we're really looking forward to the dialogue. Today, we're joined by Mike Tice. He's a chief counterintelligence expert and technical lead for Insider Threat Research, let me breathe for a second, at Carnegie Mellon University. Mike's got a 20-plus uh, a year history in insider threat starting in the Army. Welcome to the
2: show, Mike. Oh, thank you for having me.
1: 20 years, counter intel special agent. Now you're at Carnegie Mellon. So that's quite a career.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I've enjoyed it. Um, I had my own business for a while and then got pulled back into government service after 9-11 and then uh, wanted to Go back to just private life uh, again, and uh, when I left the government the second time, uh, that's when Carnegie Mellon asked me, and it's actually the uh, Software Engineering Institute, so it's one of the places in Carnegie Mellon, has the program called CERT, and the CERT has the Insider Threat Center, and so they said, you were using all of our research uh, during the time that you, after you came back to help build insider threat programs, so could you come up here and help us show how to take our research and apply it operationally. And that's basically uh, the main role that I have.
1: You have 20 years in the U.S. Army, a number of years in the intelligence community, and now you're working with Carnegie Mellon and teaching others and working with others.
2: Right, and I have 30 years of computer systems engineering uh, concurrently. So I'm not like 105, but some of these things overlap. Awesome.
1: Awesome. And, and I understand you wrote a publication, you're in the sixth edition here of uh, Common Sense Guide to Mitigating Insider Threats. I think, Carolyn, you read that.
0: Yeah, actually, um, Mike and I go back a few years. He kind of, he, I cut my teeth on Insider Threat with Mike. And this is the Bible, the Cert Guide to Insider Threats. And I, I saw, Mike, that you guys came out with the latest edition just February of this year. So Um, I'd love for you to talk about what's new and different in the latest edition. And, you know, the the copy I've got is the first copy and it's a hardbound book. But I understand the newest one is a PDF.
2: Yeah. So uh, let me just clarify that a little bit. Uh, The original that you're talking about, the hardbound book, is a standalone one and one in of itself and it was written by three authors the main author was dawn capelli and she's the one who actually created the cert insider threat center Uh, randy trezak is a co-author and andy moore so andy moore uh, is what we call a modeler so that he can take all of this type of data and build models that show how these types of attacks happen for different kinds of threats. So they put together that uh, book that was published, and I believe it's actually considered uh, required or, no, or highly recommended uh, for cybersecurity professionals by some large organization, which I just can't remember the name of right now. Aside from that, uh, Randy in charge; was in charge of the research team uh, at that point, and they started taking what we call the corpus of insider threat incidents. At that time, it was about 500. And they said, we should try to publish what are some of the best practices for either preventing, detecting, or responding to insider threats. And so that became the guide, which is called the common sense guide to mitigating insider threat and that is a completely sort of different thing than the original book so that has been uh, in the sixth edition now the only reason it looks like I wrote it is because I led the team to do the sixth edition version of it so my my name sort of appears first but really it was uh, many many people who have contributed to this thing over time and we sort of dropped that off uh, and put it into the acknowledgements in the front. So if you really wanna see all the people who have uh, contributed as authors, that's where you would find it. Michael, so this,
1: Michael if, if- Go ahead. If, if Carolyn and I pick up, a, you know, if we're working for a government agency and we're now in charge of insider threat, I mean, we've got a lot with CMMC, a lot of responsibility in the DOD. It's big in the civilian agencies, it's big internationally. But if Carolyn and I are management and, and we pick up insider threat, is is this where we start or is this a, a guideline we hand to our team, but we start somewhere else?
2: So, no, I would say that this is where you would start, although, you know, we're not the only people who have, you know, published anything or done anything, but I would say that we are considered uh, kind of the foundation because we started Insider Threat Research in 2001, so it was well before anybody else, and we have... Uh, accumulated a, a mass of knowledge, o- scientifically based, empirical based knowledge over that time, along with collecting best practices. So you, what you would find in this guide is you could look at the 20 best practices, sort of like in the table of contents, you could see them sort of an abstract from a management perspective. But then you could also find in an appendix where we would say, if you're in IT, here are the, the practice numbers that you should uh, look at and try to apply. And if you're in HR, here are the practice numbers that would apply mostly to you. Uh, you know, every part of your organization, physical security, legal, contracting. Uh, so, all, all encompassing. Okay.
1: So, Carolyn, you, you were basically a kid in 2001. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll read this book. But Mike, what's changed? What have you seen over these years? I mean, it's almost two decades now since the first edition. How's the right. business changed?
2: Well, so we are up to twenty best practices now, so every time we do an edition, we actually update the existing best practices sometimes we 'll drop one and add a different one in its place uh, in this particular sixth edition version, what we did is we went back and refreshed the existing nineteen with e- either additional case studies or uh, updated advice based on the way that things are done now in the world uh, so in other words, some practices have you know, discontinued in business and newer practices have picked up. So we've put those in there. And then we added a brand new one, which was using positive incentives to help reduce risk. So that's the 20th practice. Uh, And the idea behind it is you don't necessarily, you don't at all need to know what the threat is. If you have positive incentives, they can outweigh the negative uh, incentives and help people uh, break good, so to speak. So everyone has stressors and everyone has uh, personal predispositions. You're talking what people happens in, the,
1: in the business, employees. It,
2: people, human beings, all yep. human beings. Okay. So when a stressor happens based on how their predispositions, the things they brought with them, uh, to this employment, they will make some decisions. And what we will hope they would do is make good decisions and be able to cope with the stressor rather than acting out in a way that causes harm, either through fraud or IT sabotage or intellectual property theft and that type of thing. So this particular uh, best practice comes from a research study that we did that took a year and it was published, and it it basically has the same name. It's pretty close to the same name. You can find that on our website. All of our research is publicly available. Uh, it's free to download, all of that type of thing. There were three major factors that came out of this. What, what we found to be the three most important factors for uh, positive incentives was job engagement. How engaged is the person with the work that they're doing? The second was, uh, engagement with their coworkers. So how engaged were they with the team that they were working with? And the third was how much organizational support did they perceive they had? And when we measured those things uh, using different factors, uh, different weights and measures, uh, we found that all three of them were important uh, compared to all other things that we measured. But the most important was the perceived organizational support. So think about it this way. You, you what is might what is that? Or, um, That's like yeah, I'm going to explain that.
1: vacation time or or Amazon no. book ordering capability? What is that?
2: No. So, let's say that um you really love your job, you love the work. You know, it's like I love doing this work. But this may not be the only place you could do that work. So what what keeps you, you know, loyal, so to speak, to the organization or believing in supporting the organization? The other thing is you might love your coworkers and have a good time with your team, but that doesn't mean there aren't other people that you could work with where you could find the same kind of satisfaction. Perceived organizational support means that I believe that the organization has my best interest at heart, that they're always trying to do what they can to help me and support me, and that even if I make mistakes or things aren't going well, I believe they have my best interests, that um, they're trying to you know, support me in that way. That's hard to find right? Because you never really know what another organization is going to be like. And it's very rare uh, for most people. And when they find that kind of job, that's when they stay.
0: Because, yeah, so Mike, how did you measure this? I, is this a survey? Is it
2: like user- it, it uses a combination of factors. So we analyzed cases of uh, incidents. We actually did do some survey type stuff with uh, like HR and other uh, groups within the organization. And then there was a third thing, which right now off the top of my head, I can't remember, but it's detailed in that best practice of the methodology that was used.
0: So with the best practice, do you talk about what organizations can do to support this best practice?
2: yes absolutely so for every one of the best practices what we break down in there is what are your quick wins and how do you get started Uh, and if you're a large organization but what if you're a small organization or a medium organization so we always give you examples of where you could get started because not everyone has the same level of resources so there are four uh, basic examples of positive incentives that are in this best practice but uh, you know there you could expand well beyond that so for example uh, how do i make sure that people feel like that they're engaged and that they're supported well we want to have inclusion right so everyone should have to have the feeling that their opinion matters even if the decision doesn't go their way, they feel like they had their opportunity to contribute. Uh, Same thing with the work, that they feel like they're a valuable member of the team. They don't necessarily have to be the superstar, but they know that they're- They're They're valued in what they do. Valued, yeah, exactly. Those kinds of things are positive incentives.
0: You've talked a lot about workplace violence and this comes to mind because we just had an active shooter training at work actually. And this is making me think that this all is related. And I,
1: Yeah, we, we've so definitely I was, seen an uptick yeah. in interest around workplace violence. I, I don't know the statistics whether workplace violence has increased over the last couple of decades, but I've had we, we're having a lot more conversations yeah, with government employees, about agents. Yeah, yeah, I mean, agencies really do care, um, and they're focusing on it. So, Mike, what's changed?
2: Yeah, uh, I would say awareness. Right. So, uh, it's a, like insider threat itself. So people might say, wow, there's suddenly a lot of insider threat. It's like, no, there's always been insider threat. It's just that in most cases, organizations weren't able to detect it. So in other words, intellectual property theft, they just knew that suddenly they were getting a lot more market pressure because competitors were, you know, gaining or leapfrogging you know, over them but not putting together the the idea that they had an insider threat that took intellectual property or fraud or, you know, IT sabotage or whatever the issue is. Once that starts to get reported more, it becomes a focus, right? So people start to hear it. I would argue that the workplace violence is probably fairly similar in the sense that the total amount of incidents maybe isn't in increasing, but definitely the focus on it is so everyone you know, it comes to your attention immediately when you hear it. Uh, What we have done is in that sixth edition of the Common Sense Guide, we went back and updated every one of the best practices for for any aspects of how it could also apply to workplace violence and uh, preventing it. And I I would like to also uh, say that it doesn't just mean active shooter i mean i know that's kind of becoming synonymous in people's minds for workplace violence but there's workplace aggression there's you know workplace violence would be if somebody slugged somebody else it's technically workplace violence and those types of things are much much more common uh, than you know active shooter type stuff do you find so, they're track
1: well, back to the same the same components how engaged is someone in their job how engaged are they um you know, from an organizational support perspective, same, same factors we're looking at here, or do they, do they change as it relates to workplace violence?
2: No, I don't think it would change necessarily with one exception that in a lot of cases of workplace violence, uh, a mental health status may have an overriding um, capability. So in other words, in most of the other types of threats, I think that the positive incentives would definitely outweigh it. But you know, mental health is very uh, challenging, even for behavioral scientists. So I don't have any evidence or uh, any measurement that could tell me right now whether or not it would work for that uh, aspect of the problem. But if it's not a mental health issue that causes the workplace violence, I do believe it probably would uh, be beneficial. Okay. So, The way that we uh, looked at this was because the Department of Defense, all the military services, asked us, you know, can you apply these models to workplace violence? So we thought, that's a great question. The only reason we hadn't done it up to this point was because we're the software engineering institute, and it was all about cyber, and how to protect cyber, and how people are using cyber to commit these types of crimes. So now that we're being asked for more of a physical type thing, we started with saying, how does it compare to cyber? So the first thing we thought was, uh, what about IT sabotage? It's actually an act of aggression. It's just an act of aggression against the computer systems as opposed to a human being. So we went and started looking at cases of, in this situation we did use active shooter uh, cases for workplace violence, and for significant sabotage cases and compared them. And what we found is that there are many commonalities up to a certain point. So in other words, the predispositions are very similar, the stressors that people faced are very similar, but once they've made the ideation that they're going to act out, that's when the paths diverge. And so if you can collect all that information before they make the ideation, you could probably prevent it and you wouldn't even have to know, was it going to be IT sabotage or physical violence in the real world?
0: So there are technical observables for the workplace violence, just like the IT sabotage, just like the
2: fraud. Yeah, absolutely. So that was just the beginning of the work. Uh, I should say that what we found is the most common stressors that applied to both crimes was, uh, stress that was caused by the organization itself and stress that was caused by coworker relationships.
1: Oh, I need you and to talk so, to my boss and my peers then. <laughs> yeah,
2: so that's kind of the idea behind it is if an or- the organization should have the ability to observe that and if they found ways to measure it, either through business intelligence analytics or other kinds of things. Like you could say, hey, this person is being asked to travel a lot and it's causing them stress or they're having some tension on the project that they're working on because of their coworkers. You could say, how can we reduce those stressors? Maybe assign them to a different team, maybe you know, give them a different project, whatever it is, then you could avoid you know, potentially IT sabotage or workplace violence in the future. Uh, so that's the idea of observing and then taking an action. So you're not waiting for a policy violation or a uh, concerning behavior. You're looking at uh, reducing those stressors before it happens. Sorry, we I followed just... that Go, ahead, Go ahead, up. So, I was going to say, we, we followed that up with how could you then detect, once a person's made an ideation of either harm to themselves or harm to someone else, could you use your same insider threat technical detection stuff to... To see those indicators. And so that's a separate uh, research that we followed up that you can also get on our website. And it's called Technical Detection of Intended Violence Against Self or Others. I know it's a long title, but, you know, we're academics, so we have to do that.
1: Sounds like the next movie hit coming out for Christmas here. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Carolyn, you were about to say.
0: Well, I just, I know you just published the results this year, but have you been able to see some of these best practices in play and have they made a difference have you been able to measure that yet
2: yeah all the other best practices the other 19 we've definitely seen in operational environments the 20th one the positive incentives that's what we're looking for is to partner with an organization that we could explain to them how they could do it and then we could measure it so they would look at what their baseline is right now with incidents and then implement these um, positive incentives or increase the ones they already have and then let's see if there's a change in the rate of incidents that happen after that Michael, so that's last, what we're looking for
1: last question as we're wrapping up because we are to the point is our businesses and and government organizations getting better or worse
2: at, at, uh, what? at insider, at, threat, at insider
1: threat. threat at detecting these problems workplace violence are we getting better as an industry or is it just getting more and more complicated and, and we need to change some things? We need to we need to pay more attention. I, you know, I don't know what the answer is um, or I wouldn't be asking the question. But are we getting better or worse?
2: I think organizations generally are getting better if they've recognized that it's something that they should be caring about. And that's because there are more. Uh, There's more guidance, more research, and more technical capabilities available now. And when I say technical, I don't mean you're just capturing technical things like somebody copying, you know, something to a USB. You could also capture behavioral stuff using technical controls, technical measures. So that might be sentiment and email or chat, you know, those types of things. So I think organizations are getting better at the detection. I think they're probably getting better at the prevention if they're following the research and the recommendations that are out there. Response, that's a little bit harder to gauge. And that's because most organizations uh, don't report what happens internally. So we see somewhere between 75 and 79% of all insider incidents are never uh, reported outside the organization. So it's really hard to tell how the response is working.
1: And it's hard to learn from it. Okay. Correct. Well, this has been a A a fascinating discussion. Really appreciate you spending some time with us today. Carolyn, Ford, your your inaugural or initial uh, introduction to the podcast, thank you so much for sitting in for Erica this week. I really
2: appreciate it.
0: Yeah, it was a pleasure. I do have one last very important question for Mike. Let's do it. Do you have your Star Wars tickets?
2: Uh, um, I do not, but I do play Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes on my phone every day. Does that
0: help? No.
1: (laughs) We're recording today on December 20th. I think the new Star Wars movie is out today, correct? It is. Yes. The reference? Okay. Yes. Very nice. Well, to our listeners, thank you again, Michael. Michael Tice from Carnegie Mellon. Thank you, Carolyn. To our listeners, please tune in, subscribe, listen to us each week on your favorite podcasting application. Leave us feedback, leave us comments. We really appreciate those. It helps guide our discussion from week to week. Have a uh, great rest of 2019, and we will talk to you in the new year. Thank you very much, and have a great week.
0: Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Google Play Store.